Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Jason. Hey, what's going on? Hey, just Jason. Yep, yep. just me. Unfortunately, uh, anyone who may have missed our last episode, Michael will no longer be joining us on a regular um, scheduled yep. as before. He may, he may pop in every now and then. He's moved on to better things. <laughs> I think parenthood's kicking his ass. Yeah, but you know, understandable. Yeah, totally. Uh, so we miss you, man. We love you, man. Uh, we're doing some freestyle picks for a little bit until we can chart, uh, make some plans, and figure out what we're doing next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whenever I uh, face adversity, like losing Michael in this, mm-hmm. I I go back to the '80s and seek comfort <laughs> there, which is what I have done this time. Yes. Today we are going to talk about Miracle Mile from 1988. We'll have to get into what genre this is, because even I was about to just rattle off a thing, but I, okay. we'll, we'll get into it. We'll yeah, get into we'll talk it. about that. Um, but first, of course, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, mm-hmm. and I've got a little shout out. Oh, cool. So, pretty sure, most likely by the time this episode drops, this will already be out. Jason, you joined Cam on the Jacked Up Review Show another time. Yeah, sure You did. guys were talking about what, uh, kind of just Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, Hong Kong general. action stars, and well, and movie stars in general, yeah. Killer. Most of them happen to be action stars. It's kind of the way around that. <laughs> right. This is the way it goes. Yeah, so it gets more uh, uh, Chai Yun Fat worship going on there, of course. Yes. Well, I'm excited to listen to it. I haven't heard it yet. It was. I think you actually recorded it before it's like some of the later ones that have already come yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. Just yeah. in the shake of things. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think it's fun. Everyone we'll, check it out. We'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, go check that out. Show some love to the Jacked Up Review Show. That's yeah. one of our favorite uh, places to collaborate with. Sure is. As much as they'll entreat us and have us on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that being said, I guess, uh, what have you been watching? Okay. I watched um, a recent movie called Fall. Hmm. And this is the one about the um, two friends who find themselves at the top of a 2,000-foot radio tower. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what this is. Yeah. Um, it, a short version, it's good. I liked it. Um, okay. I'm a sucker for these kinds of movies, though. I, I love that whole like bottle situation mm-hmm. where people are stuck somewhere. What's the one? Um, they're like on a ski lift. And Frozen. It, yeah, Frozen. Yeah. Which is fucking awesome. That's what it made me think of. Not to be confused with a Disney movie, obviously. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's very much like that, that type mm. of setup. Um, so you've got all your usual tropes and this is, it's nothing like original or groundbreaking. doesn't but, always have to be. Uh, yeah, no, but the actresses are really good. They sell it. Uh, I'm, I'm not like afraid of high places, but right. I would avoid them given mm. the opportunity. So th- that being at top of this tower is a place I would never be in a billion years. So that unto itself is uncomfortable. Right. You know? Um, it does crib a bit from other types of movies of this ilk. Um, like you'll be able to see some things coming if you've mm-hmm. seen certain other movies that I won't name because I don't <laughs> want to ruin it for you if you haven't. So it's not original, but it's enjoyable and it's you know it's pretty tense. Uh, let me ask, how long is it? Uh, hour and a half. Hour and a half. The, so the, the proper time for actually no, I'm sorry, this one's a little bit longer. It's one forty-seven. So is it pretty much just them up there the whole time, or are there like flashbacks? Or um, no, it's all linear. Cool. More or less. Uh, but, uh, and the effects are pretty good. Like, you, you never really get a sense that it's just like a green screen or something, mm-hmm. you know, which of course it is. But it, it's shot well to hide that. Um, actually, being at 147, I don't think it felt too long. 
Oh, believe okay. it or not. Strange answer from you, but okay. Yeah, I know. Normally, once you get an hour and a half, I'm like, come on. <laughs> but uh, it's good. I recommend it. Okay. How about you, man? What have you been watching? Got anything else? Or, uh... No, that's more anything. Okay, I have a few to dole out here. Um, I set this up on our bonus episode. we got to talk about it. The uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Vestron Blu-ray collection <laughs> of films 3, 4, and 5. Uh-huh. Um, I marathoned them on Christmas Eve. It was a pretty fun evening. Um, 3 and 4 I'd never seen before, so I, I vaguely had recollection of like people talking about them. Oh, man. But I never experienced them, so I'm just going to rattle through all three kind of quickly. Uh, so they don't need too much time spent on them, I don't think. No, they do not. So, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out, uh, directed by Monty Hellman. So this is the last one that tries to continue the narrative mm-hmm. from the original film. Um, and wow, it's what a weird movie. So <laughs> you've got, um, first of all, Ricky has been recast. He's uh, Bill Mosley. And like his most subdued role I've maybe ever seen him do. And that's one of my issues with this movie. <laughs> first of all, okay, they basically turn the killer. He's, he's basically a robot. Yeah, yeah. He has like a cybernetic brain. It's very much like a Jason-style slasher where it, there's it, like it, no emotion, no... Yeah, and it just goes completely yeah. off the rails. And he's like this pop-o-matic head cap thing. Yeah. But you get Bill Mosley, one of the most energetic, animated, fun <laughs> actors, and make him a, a zombie, basically. You mm-hmm. know, and it's... Because when I started, I was like, oh, shit. So they're going to try to top the like Garbage Day stuff from the second one. Yeah. That's why they brought him in, obviously. You mostly going crazy yeah. with that. Uh, but no. Um, then we have classic uh, horror movie sequel trope. We've got a psychic girl that's blind. Very much seemed like a Jennifer Connelly like, ripoff yeah. in a way, almost. Like, just the, the look and the way they have her dressed up and stuff. Yeah, she wants to be in Creepers. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was sad, though, because she was a good actress, and I don't think she's actually been in too much else. Mm. Just, like, one or two other films. Um, and then as I watch it, I start to think, okay, something weird's going on with this movie. Cause I notice, okay. Um, you know, this scientist guy, this like doctor that she's working with do this weird, like psychic study. Oh, Hey, that's uh, Benjamin Horn from twin peaks. Mm-hmm. Huh? Well, that's interesting. And then you watch a little further and then you know that the main chick has a uh, brother and then the brother shows up and it's like, Oh, okay. Well it's Leo from twin peaks. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. And then he's talking about bringing his girlfriend with them for where they're going for Christmas. And then she shows up and it's like, Oh shit, it's Rita from Mulholland drive. And I'm like, what, what's going on here now? <laughs> yeah. Like a bunch of Lynch fans. Yeah. And that's kind of my take of the film. It's like this weird, like, I don't think it tries to be Lynchian at all, but just no. by grace of the people who are in it, it feels Lynchian in a way. It has a better cast than it deserves. Let's put it <laughs> yes. that way. I'd have to wonder if David Lynch like saw this at some point and was just like, those people. I'm, I'm going to get those people when I can. Do something with them. Um, but yeah, it's not very good. It's like a neat premise of like, they're trying to study the mind of a killer through psychic phenomenon and it awakens him and he seeks her out. And the real problem is like the middle of it is this boring plotting thing of like nothing happens mm-hmm. at all. It's, all. it's like in the house. You're just sitting there in the house for like an hour. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that, uh, it's all right. <laughs> That's being gracious. So moving right along, then shortly after that, we get Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, directed by the Brian Usna. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised I had never seen this, because I love, I love uh, Usna and all his films. Yeah, he could, every now and then he does a stinker, but he's, he's usually pretty dependable. Uh, so this one cuts completely the uh, the connection to the Ricky Caldwell and all that stuff. How far are you going to take it in the <laughs> robot brain? Yeah. 
Which they, they tease in the third one at the end that he's still yeah. still out there, but nah, no, it's good. So this one is like barely a Christmas film. It's set in L.A. It's like warm, hot. There's like barely a hint that it's Christmas other than now and again they mention that it's around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even try to have like a lot of Christmas lights up or like trees or anything to give you the feel that like... Lame. Yeah, there's, there's no Christmas to it. And I kind of liked it in a way because it was a weird vibe, but... It's about this reporter who wants to, uh, well, she wants to be a reporter. She works at like a uh, a newspaper and she's kind of just like, uh, she does the classifieds for them and basically makes coffee for all the men, which was the first thing I thought was interesting because this is like, uh, if you if this came out now, you would get like the people on Facebook raging about it, so talking about how woke it is. Really? Where it's like, oh, the, they have all the men in power. They're trying to make a story, but like, oh, they're putting the women down. It's like. No, that that's kind of always gone yeah, on. That's the way it's always been. Yeah. Uh, and, and people did notice it before, like, 20, 22, <laughs> yeah, 23. Um, yeah, people have been aware of yeah. this. Yes. So um, she's, like, sleeping with one of, like, the head reporters, and she's trying to, like, jockey to get, like, a better job there and actually be, like, taken seriously. Um, and this strange death happens where a woman just bursts into flames and falls off the top of a building. Hmm. And um, they kind of don't care about it. She takes an interest and wants to, like, research it and investigate it. And it leads her into interacting with a strange coven of witches. Mm. They're interested in the occult, and they're kind of based in a bookstore that's in the area. Um, See, this sounds like a movie that wasn't supposed to be part of the series. A little bit, and yeah. And they just took it and slapped that title on there. Um, and you get this... you get this, so They do the whole, like, witchcraft, like, female empowerment angle thing, which is mm. pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that. Um, it gets a little muddy though, because in the end, these witches are evil, and they have this malicious intent for our lead, where they start to try to like bring her under their control and get her to join and be initiated, which involves doing a lot of heinous shit. Mm-hmm. So this movie like squicked me out super hard because <laughs> for whatever reason, you've got uh, is it's screaming mad George? Is that the yeah, special effects guy? Uh... Yeah, he did the special effects. And this cult does a ton of stuff that involves bugs for some reason. He loves so you've bugs. Got He's good with bugs. These huge, big, fat, like grub-looking bugs, and they're just slimy and nasty, and they're they're popping up everywhere and <laughs> crawling into people's mouths and <laughs> wiggling around under their body and nasty stuff. And nice. There's one part where they like give her some tea, and it's like spiked and it's like hallucinogenic, and she starts tripping out. And then there's a giant roach that appears. <laughs> um, before it even gets crazy, her apartment itself is infested with roaches, which is nasty enough. And then, oh god, it just gets off the rails and goes crazy. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this, man. Well, how do you feel about that movie? Um, again, it's not great, but it's like <laughs> there's so many cool effect moments in it, and there's a lot of like neat ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I think really the trying to make it have the Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night connection is like it hampers it more than right. It helps it. Hmm. I'm sure that's how it got made because it was billed as a sequel, but uh, but I think it's super weird if you like the sort of like cult witch films. Or bugs. Or bugs. Um, <laughs> it's worth checking out, I think. Yeah. yeah nice. Okay. Uh, and then last but not least, the one I had seen before, bringing it in, the, the death knell of the franchise, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one... Brings us back to the Christmas theme. It's right up in the forefront. And we have a uh, unassuming young boy that one night gets a package delivered to his house. And it appears to be a present which he tries to open. 
And then his strange and kind of abusive dad yells at him and sends him away, opens the package, and it's a toy that kills him. Hmm. So we've got Is kill- this a Puppet Master movie? So we've got killer toys. I'm automatically in. <laughs> that was why I rented it in the first place when I was a young lad. That's why you don't accept gifts from Toulon. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is uh, the toy maker in this is actually, uh, let me find it because it's hilarious. I have to get the names exactly right just to be sure. Um, Joe Petto. Mm. Now, if you say that really fast, it might sound like another name <laughs> that you might know. Um, Geppetto, Geppetto, uh-huh. I don't know, maybe. Okay, um, and he, he runs an unassuming toy shop where he makes toys and sells them for the locals and keeps them happy. Now, is this Mickey Rooney? It is Mickey Rooney, <laughs> which is also funny because he famously decried the first film in this franchise, said it was awful, that should never have been made, shouldn't be allowed to exist. But you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys got to eat. You, you know, give it some years. The calls stop coming in, and you got to make a little money. And <laughs> next thing you know, you're Joe Petto in Silent Night, Deadly Night Five, <laughs> and he lives with his very odd teenage son, Pino, which might sound like the start of another name that would be related to that. Maybe mm-hmm. Pino. Grigio. I don't know. Uh, Pinocchio. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> This is just such a weird film. Um, there's a crazy subplot too with the main family of like the husband that dies is actually like not the father of the son. And there's this other guy creeping around that's kind of like a red herring. Like, is he the toy maker that's making the killer toys? But he turns out to be like the first love of the mom. And they were like together and then he was going to go be in the war, but she was pregnant and didn't want him to know. And then she married the other guy for security. And it's ridiculous. And wow. completely unnecessary. So um, and that's that's really the weak point on this one. Because again, all three of these films, I think what unites them is that in the middle, they have all this dragging that just falls apart. And for this one, it's the mystery of like, well, who's the toy maker? Who's the villain? Who's the bad guy? And it's not very effective or mm. compelling. And you don't really care. And you just, you know, show me the killer toys. Yeah. But where this film kind of trumps the other two, I think, is when it comes to that final act... Oh, does it deliver? You yeah. get a little toy soldiers with live ammunition. You get uh, a crazy like RC car with razor blades on it. All kinds of fun, crazy toys. And then um, in their twist of the whole Pinocchio motif, Pino turns out to be an android robot thing that uh, was built and went crazy and rogue. And he wants a real mother to love him. And he is the mastermind behind everything. And uh, is trying to get the, uh, the, the lead character, the mother, to take him as uh, her son and not have her normal son. Okay. And there's some great, weird, creepy, rapey bits too, where he's like trying to simulate that he's fucking her and being like, I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. (laughs) It's very weird. Very disturbing. Um, Perfect cap off for a movie. That's not that great, but has its moments. All right. Um, It's like you had a great Christmas Eve. (laughs) That was, that was my Christmas Eve. Wonderful. God bless. Fun for the whole family. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did your significant other watch this with you? No, she did not. Okay, all right. Uh, She said, what are those? And I said, oh, they're the late uh, sequels to Silent Night, Deadly Night, the the classic one with the killer Santa. And she said, fuck no, I'm not watching this. Go in the other room. (laughs) Did you ever watch the remake to Silent Night, Deadly Night? No, I did not. Yeah, it's... Is it anything? You don't need to waste your time. Hmm. No, it's just uninspired. Hmm. Cash grab. Garbage day. (laughs) Yeah,
right, today we are talking about Miracle Mile from 1988, um, directed by Steve DeJarnett. Yes, and this is only one of two movies I think he directed. My bad. The other being Cherry 2000. Yeah, which you gifted me the Blu-ray for this. Yes. And one of the special features was a trailer for his other movie. Oh, so, <laughs> nice. Okay. Nice little internal consistency they had going on there. Yeah, if you like this one, go check out that one. I actually never saw Cherry 2000. The trailer was cool. It was like a weird it's like a post-apocalyptic yeah. kind of thing, yeah. Um, I think it was made before Miracle Mile. It was. But it kind of seems like it would be better as a sequel, but we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um. So let's start where we always start. Let's talk about genre real quick before we go too deep into this. Okay. The well, t- well, briefly, it's about... So the oh, yeah, blur- give us the synopsis. The yeah. blurb on IMDb, the synopsis is, a young man hears a chance phone call telling him that a nuclear war has started and missiles will hit his city in 70 minutes. Which roughly aligns to the length of the film. Yeah, it's almost real it time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what genre is this? So the tags you see online are action, drama, and romance. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make a note that a lot of the ad copy, if you read like the promotions of this film, they call it a romantic thriller. How do you feel about those? I wouldn't call it a thriller, uh, personally. Hmm. It, it definitely has that romance element, although that's not like, you know. I remember, okay, I saw this when it came out on VHS back in the day. I haven't seen it since like the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know this existed, so... Wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and I remember at the time, I'm like getting kind of bored because it's just these two people mm-hmm. getting together at the beginning. Of well, course, now I find that more interesting because yeah, I'm, so you, I'm you a were mature young, person now. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when are you going to get to the fireworks factory, you know? Um, I appreciate it a lot more now. Mm. But yeah, for the first 20 minutes or so, it, it could just be like just a romance. Yeah. Um, but... Drama, sure, okay, but I mean, God, everything's drama, honestly. To a degree, yeah. Um, action, mm, there's a little action. The final act, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but it's um, not like a you know Rambo run around shoot 'em up <laughs> type thing. The the term that kept coming up to me, and I don't even know how much people take this as like a genre or a tag for a genre, um, is suspense. Yeah, it's I, definitely I it was very suspenseful. Suspense uh, is better than thriller. Yeah. For me. So to me, like a thriller, there's like, you're trying to figure something out. Yeah, it's in a, a crime element. Yeah, like something. what's going on? What's, yeah. I mean, there's a mystery or there's like an unknown element. Like a sorcerer is a good example. Mm-hmm. That's more suspense than a thriller. Yeah. Whereas something like Tenebrae is more of a thriller than a suspense. I like it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this pretty much matches all sorts of genres together. And it was a, the the director, DeJarnett, also wrote the screenplay. And apparently it sat in limbo for like 10 years. Yeah, this has a lot of interesting history as far as like the production and how it was made. Um, I don't know how much of that we want to get into, but I think it's interesting. It was definitely a labor of love for him. Yeah. Because he wrote it for Warner Brothers. So they owned it. And then he bought it back from them. For like four hundred grand? No, no, no. It was like twenty five grand. Yeah, twenty five grand. And because they were wanting to change the ending, they wanted a spoiler alert. They wanted they wanted a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, fuck that. That's not the movie. <laughs> so he bought it back from them. His own script. He has to buy back. And twenty five is not chump change, you know, especially in the eighties. Um. So he he buys it back, and they want it back again, and they offer yeah. him like four hundred grand for it, but they didn't want him to direct. 
Yeah, that was, was the main thing is um, he was like an unproven director, so they yeah. wanted like a big name to attach to it. I was like, no, this is my story. <laughs> I want to tell it. And I mean, I don't know if the guy just happened to be independently wealthy or something, but for a, a struggling director to turn down that much money, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. that, that takes that means he's committed to this movie. <laughs> and I respect the hell out of that. I also thought it was funny, apparently for a short brief stint in its uh, run-up to ever actually happening, it was almost going to be Twilight Zone the movie. Yeah. Now, it does have yeah. sort of a Twilight Zone sort of feel to it. I can see that. Apparently, the studio that was working toward it had like an idea for a twist at the end. I couldn't ever find any info on what that twist was. I'll bet you anything it was. Oh, it was a dream. But he wakes up and it kind of starts repeating like the whole oh, yeah. dead of night sort of thing. But I guess um, what happened there was that Steven Spielberg came in to work on Twilight Zone, the movie. And then they were like, no, let's do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... Um, but it had, a, had the script had the reputation of being like one of the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. Yeah, I have this. Um, it was picked by the American Film Magazine as one of the 10 best unmade screenplays in Hollywood at the time. It's crazy. And at one point, Kurt Russell was attached, mm-hmm. and so was Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Could you imagine Nicolas Cage in this? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think It'd be they, pretty much like Sailor, his character Sailor. I think they got the right guy for the job. Anthony oh, yeah. Edwards, like, really... I couldn't imagine anyone else playing this character. No. He's very good in it. He sells it. He's very much a, a good kind of everyman. Mm-hmm. And that is something I like about this movie a lot, especially now as an adult, is that the two leads, they're not like beautiful Hollywood types. Right. They're normal, average-looking people. And that would never get done now. I'm surprised it got done then. <laughs> but yes. it, it wouldn't happen now, that's for fucking sure. Uh, a little other like pre-info before we go in. A lot of this was filmed like right on location... And a lot of it was filmed at night to actually get the look as they have in the film. Yeah. They and even they shut down Wilshire Boulevard for two days when shooting the climax of the movie. With We'll, we'll get to it, but when the streets are mm-hmm. packed with people. And that has a lot of production value yeah. to it, too. And, and, and in case you don't know, Miracle Mile is a section. It's a neighborhood in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should set that up. All yeah. the action takes place. Um, and also, with that big climactic final scene, they ended up having to come back and shoot extra scenes for it once principal shooting had finished and Jarnet had to just pay out of pocket to get that done. Wow. So this is really like a true labor of love. It really is. And I think that shows. And, and for me, that goes a long way toward appreciating the movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So maybe we should let's get into it. Let's, let's, let's get stuck in. It begins with a voiceover, which I'm usually not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And that does kind of quickly disappear. It's weird because it's heavy in the first part of the film. And then like once you're past yeah. the halfway point, it's gone. It disappears yeah. completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get Anthony Edwards. We're introduced to him. He's a musician. He's playing trombone. Yep, he's Harry Washello. Harry Washello, yes. And uh, he's talking about how it took him 30 years to find love. And there's a girl's picture on his trombone slide. Yeah, like taped to the end yeah, of it. Yeah. I like the look of that. Uh-huh. And uh, then we get like a little brief on the Big Bang. <laughs> yeah, it like cuts to like a kind of like a uh, school video that's teaching mm-hmm. you about the Big Bang. But I liked it because I was kind of like, what the fuck is this film doing? But then as you watch it, it pans out mm-hmm. and you realize it's a screen that's in this museum. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's clever. I like that. Yep. So Harry and this girl he's obviously interested in, uh, he's kind of following her around, you know, trying to get her attention. Her and... name's uh, Julie Peters and she's played by Mayor Winningham. Yes. And I got to talk about her real quick okay, right off the go start. Go for it. Go for it. Her initial outfit is so 80s. Yeah. Just, it's purple on purple on purple. 
Uh-huh. And the hair, too. The hair is very 80s. I love it. Oh, it's just like, wow, okay. And, and this is a very 80s movie, but in a good way, yeah. I think. Um. <laughs> but they're at the La Brea Tar Pits. La Brea Tar Pits, Which yep. is the first of several very iconic L.A. locations we get in the film. Mm-hmm. And I love the opening credits, too. I like the way how it's scrolling. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah, it's almost like too. you're following yeah. them on a moving walkway or something. And I, I dig it because like there's stuff going on here. Like there's a school field trip there, <laughs> and Harry's kind of a cut up, so he'll like be playing with the kids and like cracking jokes and stuff. Yeah. And uh, the teacher even like reprimands him at one point. Yeah, this is my field trip, young man. <laughs> you think that he works there or something, yeah. but he doesn't. He's just he's just goofing. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they keep having a few like they'll cross paths with one another and smile and. Mm-hmm. Um. But then he's eventually out there looking at the tar pits themselves. And it's got like statues of woolly mammoths caught mm-hmm. in it and stuff like that. And it also has a nice close-up of like a Coke can or something in there. Yeah. So there's trash in these tar pits that, you know, have been there for millions of years. Oh, and you know, not to not to like get minuscule on every little scene. But just before he goes outside, he finally tries to talk to her in the gift shop. And he tries to set up this thing where he's going to buy something mm-hmm. and be in line behind her so he can say something. <laughs> yeah. But there's this old couple, and they just conveniently happen to get in the line before him, yeah. and it like cuts them off so he can't say anything. <laughs> it's sad, it really is. <laughs> but then that's kind of why he goes outside because he's like, "Man, I wish I would have said something to her." Mm-hmm. Um, and then she comes up to him, mm-hmm. and they 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 were pretty much hitting it off immediately, you know, because they know they're interested in each other. And it's like, let's yep. just stop playing games and, and talk to each other. And then we kind of we see them on like a series of dates, yeah. Uh, like to go to a restaurant. <laughs> she doesn't want to eat the lobsters. Yeah. And it's like, well, why don't we just, you know, buy them and free them, let them go. And he says, how much for, for all the lobsters? And the guy says, 1200 bucks. And he pays it. He pays it. So next scene, they're tossing lobsters off the pier. And you can tell immediately, like they have such great chemistry together. I think. Yeah. Like I usually don't like the whole, like sudden love at first sight trope in a film, but like here it feels right. And I don't, yeah. I don't know how to like, put it into words, but it just works. Right. I think, I think that helps that it is too. I mean, they're probably what he says. He's 30 years old. So they're not like young, young, Mm -hmm. you know, they're adults. And again, they're, they're, you know, kind of average looking. It's all about charisma. Mm -hmm. They they both have an interesting charisma to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. You buy the relationship. And there's something too, like one of his narrations, he talks about it. Like he thought he would never meet someone that would like know the same kind of things he was into. Yeah. Obscure jazz musicians. But she's like like right there with him. Yeah. Um, and then we see a scene where they're hanging out with her grandfather. Yeah. She's very close to her grandparents. Yeah. They're watching him. Uh, he, he's playing the very, very small <laughs> crowd of people with this outdoor amphitheater. And I love the scene where he's, he's playing his trombone solo and there's a dude wearing shades who stands up with a clarinet, you know, it's his turn, but he keeps playing his yeah. solo. <laughs> and he almost like bops him in the head with the, yeah. the slide. And he gives him this look that says, sit down, fucker. <laughs> Um, but her grandfather, uh, Ivan, played by John Agar, he's like this sweet old man. Okay, we uh, need to talk about John Agar for a minute okay, here. Okay, sure, yeah. Uh, so John Agar is old-timer movie star. He was in some of the early John Wayne films. And he's probably best known for his spate of 1950s creature features. See, I thought the whole time I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. He's so familiar. Yeah, John Agar is yeah. great. He was in Revenge of the Creature. Oh, okay. He was in Tarantula. Both of which had bit parts by Clint Eastwood. Mm. Um, he was in The Mole People, uh, The Brain from Planet Eros. He was in Invisible Invaders. At least three or four of these movies were on <laughs> MST3K. 
Wow. So, I mean, he's legit Hollywood royalty, in my opinion. It's funny because he exudes that even when I didn't recognize him. Yeah, yeah he's got yeah. a lot of just charisma. You can just, yeah. <laughs> Although I did have to crack up when he offers to buy Harry a tube steak. Yeah. <laughs> tube steak. Um, but while he's buying that, um, Julie's grandmother, Lucy, played by Lou Hancock, she also shows up and talks about like coming in and starting dinner. Yeah. And we get this weird confrontation between Grandpa and Grandma here where it seems like they've been fighting and they don't really interact with one another. Yeah, she said they've had some beef for like 15 years. Yeah. And she doesn't even know what the argument was. <laughs> and I don't think it comes till like late in the film, but I, it's worth bringing up now. Later she like talks about it more and she says like one of the things that she hated was that she would come to visit and like uh, Ivan would take her to a wax museum mm-hmm. and he'd think it would be the coolest thing ever. And then the next day she would be with Lucy, and then she would go to that same wax museum, and she just kind of had to play along with them. Yeah, act like it was her first time there. Because yeah. Yeah. they would act like they have nothing in common anymore, but ultimately all their interests are the exact same mm-hmm. things. <laughs> um, and then we see Harry walks Julie to her job. She works at a coffee house, like a restaurant. Yep. Slinging hash. Slinging she hash. Uh, she gets off at midnight, so they're planning to hook up after that to go out. Yeah, like an all-night uh, party kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's L.A., man. Hey. She has a great line here, though. She says, third date, Harry, I'm going to screw your eyes blue. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he goes home, and he's going to set an alarm to get up. Yep, going to take a little nap, get ready for his big date. But he's out there smoking, right? And he flicks a cigarette off there. And a bird comes along, gets the cigarette, mm-hmm. takes it to its nest. The nest catches on fire. <laughs> <laughs> burns through some cables and out goes his power. Now, see, if you're talking about like a Twilight Zone thing, that's such a like series of incidents that just kind of happen mm-hmm. for no reason. Yeah. Um. So he, in the meantime, we see Julie. She's waiting for him. He's not there. She tries to call. She waits a long time. Yeah, too. yeah. And there's no power. There's no, you can't get through. No, the phone. no girl would wait that long in real life. <laughs> Julie does. <laughs> Um, so he wakes up and he seems unusually refreshed. You know, the power's back on at this yeah. point and he's getting ready and he doesn't even know. He realized the time was like three thirty. Yeah. When he notices the time on television. I, I love the first like hint he has that something's wrong is that he's like flicking through the channels and it's all either static or like the, we're going off for the night thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or a weird black and white movie. Uh huh. <laughs> so he freaks out <laughs> and goes up to the restaurant um, Julie's long gone. He tries to get uh, tries to get her address right because she she was at first like a little cagey about where she lives. Yeah, he doesn't know exactly where she lives, just general area. Um, but while he's trying to do all this with the waitress who works in there, uh, the public phone outside keeps ringing. It, it was ringing as we see him walk into mm-hmm. the to the restaurant in the first place, and he comes back out, and it's ringing again. So he just goes over there and picks it up. Yeah, because isn't it, he, he tries to call her, leaves a message, then he goes to leave and oh, rings. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah he, we get a little bit more before that, that's right. It's ringing when he comes in, he's trying to get the message, and we, we start meeting all the other patrons in the restaurant. Which I, I think there's one that you really want to talk about, right, Jason? Uh, yeah. Actually, there's a few to talk about here. <laughs> this is a pretty fun scene, if you like 80s character actors. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, we have Denise Crosby. She comes in carrying a big briefcase. Uh, she opens it up and there's this 
brick of a fucking phone in yeah. there. One of the old cellular phones. Uh, she's got Cliff Notes to Gravity's Rainbow, which I meant to do a little bit of research on. Do you know anything about Gravity's Rainbow? Not quite, no. Okay, maybe we should cut this part out so we don't look like idiots. <laughs> um, but she starts skimming through that. Um, who else do we meet? Uh, we see a there's like a guy who is obviously a little bit drunk uh, speaking with a... Uh, well, they, they credit the person as a transvestite. Mm. Yeah. Um, talking to her, but they don't make a big deal out of it, and that's something yeah. I dig. I appreciate that too. I think his like, name's Roger. Um, he's just name. one of the regulars. Yeah. So just yeah. one of the no one's no one gives him a hard time. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, again, L.A. It's great. <laughs> apparently, um, but the the guy who has been drinking, his name's Earl Bowen. Now you'll recognize him as a psychiatrist from the first three Terminator films. Uh, he was also in Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, okay. Cool. And he also provided several voices for different Star Trek video games. <laughs> so, multiple Star Trek references. Yeah, of course, Denise Crosby was Tasha Yar in Star Trek Next Generation. and uh, her Unfairly uh, maligned, I'm going to say. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't blame her for leaving the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, she thought her character was underwritten, and it was. Uh, and she also went on to play her half-Romulan daughter, Sela for a oh. couple of episodes. Uh, yeah, so we got that. Um, <laughs> Fred is the cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's played by Robert uh, Doqui, who was the chief from the RoboCop movies. He also played the Klingon in Star Trek <laughs> wow. Deep Space Nine. Okay. The episode Sons of Moog. Okay, see, I've never seen any of Deep Space Nine. That's okay. my one. Oh, uh, DS9's great. It's my one black area. For... A lot of people consider it the best one. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, and Harlan, he's the, the rude one who's keeps, um, uh, trying to pick up, uh, Leda, who is Denise Crosby's character. Um, he was played by Claude Earl Jones and he did a bunch of TV work. I guarantee he's one of those, that guys you've seen him, but he's probably best known for, uh, he was one of the, um, vigilante men, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Oh, and he was also the detective in reanimator Two. Oh, see, that's my least seen in that franchise. Sadly. Oh, it's not very good. Oh, it has its moments. It has its moments. It's better than three. Yeah. Eh. So, yeah, those, those are all the fun, famous faces from the restaurant. And this almost, uh, it, not intentionally for sure, but it, again, it gave me that like David Lynch kind of vibe where it was like this weird, quirky diner with its random assortment of patrons. That yeah, are, and you get the sense they're all regulars. They yeah. all kind of know each other, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, then he goes outside. Um, yeah, because he's trying to call her, right? Yeah. There's no answer. Gets the machine. And he's walking out of the booth and the phone rings again. So he just goes back and answers it. Maybe it's her. Right. I don't know. Uh, but it's not. It's somebody named Chip. <laughs> it's a whole, a whole Chip, you know. He gets this frantic phone call of this guy who thinks he's talking to his father. Yeah, he just starts to the second yeah. the receiver clicks. Yeah, it's like he was already talking, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but he's talking about how, uh, like, the, the birds are in the air. And he says, know. this is it. It's the big one. It's the big one. Yeah. He says, uh, 75 minutes from now, they're going to get a return barrage of nuclear yeah. warheads. And that's and it's it. It's over. Well, it's like 50 minutes, we're going to send it. And then 75, we get the return. Yeah. 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 And and Harry's like, ah, this is really funny. <laughs> Anything better to do than pull pranks like this? 
But then um, we hear some other people come in over the phone. Oh, line. actually, it develops a little bit before that because um, Chip kind of asks him. He's like, "Well, wait. Uh, oh, right. Who, who, you know, who is this? Where is this?" And he's like, "Dude, this is just a payphone." Yeah. He's like, oh, "What number did I call?" And they realize that Chip mixed up the area code. Yeah. And he gives Harry the name of his father and says, "Like, can you please let him know?" Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And tell him so he can try to get away. And he tells him the right area code that he meant to call. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Harry has a really good memory. Surprisingly, <laughs> considering all the stuff he's about to go through. Yeah. Um, but then what you're talking about, we hear people come in mm. in the background and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And Chip tries to play oh. it casually, <laughs> but they clearly realize he's on a phone call spilling the beans and we just hear gunfire yeah, taking out. Automatic gunfire. Yeah. Oh. Then this very stern voice kind of picks up on the phone. Ask who this is, and, and again, Harry's kind of like, "Oh, uh, great prank, you guys." Yeah, he's like, yeah. "Isn't it like some federal crime or something to make a prank <laughs> like this over the phone?" And they're like, "You know," and they tell him basically, "Just go back to sleep. forget about what you've heard and go back to sleep." And they hang up. And and Harry is freaking out right now because I mean, this the phone call does sound genuine. Yeah, it's a very elaborate prank, you know. The the amount of planning. And like time and investment and money and to even know that someone would pick up the phone at that time mm-hmm. to do a prank is like, right, right. If you can't record it for the internet, why bother? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but Harry goes back to the restaurant. Is asking, asking everyone if they know Chip? Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I like it. He doesn't announce his intention, but we, it becomes very clear. He wants to see if there's any way he can confirm any part of the story. Right. Because if there's like one piece that's true, that changes the situation. Exactly. Um, let's see. But then as he is describing things, that gets uh, Landa's attention. Yes. Since obviously she is an important person mm-hmm. because she has a big old brick of a phone. Uh, and what really catches her is she asks him to repeat it verbatim. Mm-hmm. And when he does, there's like a string of code. Yeah. Like he code remembers. Words. Yeah. And it seems very significant to her. Yes. She starts making phone calls. And everyone else is freaking out, asking about what's going on. And then she's alarmed because everyone she's trying to reach isn't there, and they're all on their way to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Kind of a weird coincidence. <laughs> uh, so the cook freaks out, Fred. He gets up on the counter with a gun. <laughs> he demands the truth from Harry. You know, are you just bullshitting us or what? Um, <laughs> Fred freaks out. <laughs> And everyone's starting to believe, oh, wait, maybe this is really happening. And in the 80s, I mean, we were ready for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was convinced we weren't going to make it out of the decade without a nuclear war. That was just, wow. that was the feeling. Everyone had it. Um, so, I mean, something like this was pretty believable, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, still kind of prescient now. Since- Considering where we are now <laughs> yeah. and how close. I mean, I don't know where the doomsday clock is right now, but it's probably <laughs> not too far from midnight. Whew. So the cook, he gets up all these uh, canned goods and things like that, and he's hauling ass out with a uh, cart. And uh, Landa has a plan for them to get to the L.A. International Airport and to get a private jet. That will take them to a compound in Antarctica yeah. in a region where there's generally no rainfall. Right. Sounds sounds good. Sounds doable. Okay. And it's funny because they just invite all the patrons along. Yeah, I, I love yeah. how everyone just starts working together. <laughs> you know, there's some bickering and stuff like that, and people are freaking out. But it's not like, oh, fuck you all. I'm going by myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, let's all go. Yeah. 
So they're, they're, they're like loading up the catering truck. And someone takes off with Harry's wheels. Yeah. So he can't drive. Well, there's like a homeless guy that's kind of wandering around outside the restaurant. You see him when Harry first arrives. Yeah. And then you see him again when he makes the phone call. And then presumably he's the one that jacks the car and leaves. Right. Uh, there's a lot of fun little like... They set up something in the frame. And then there's like a payoff. So I really like the way they constructed a lot mm-hmm. of the, the scenes and stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, so he hops in the truck with everyone else, but he's trying to get Fred to go by and grab Julie. Yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, sure, whatever, let's just go. <laughs> and the whole time, uh, Landa's making calls and making plans. They're supposed to meet a helicopter up on top of the... Um, the Mutual Benefit Life Building. Yes. So he's getting all this information, but at the same time, he realizes that Fred's going the wrong way. Yeah, he just blows past the yeah. chair. He's like, fuck, I ain't going to get her. <laughs> um, and he, he even grabs Fred's gun and like yeah. threatens him and shit. But Fred don't care. He says, you can jump off when I get on the on-ramp. <laughs> yeah. um, and that, that's when Landa kind of tells him, like, hey, you know, get to this building. Find, find her, get to this building. If you can make it in this amount of time. The helicopter will bring you to the airport. We can get you out of here still. Yeah. Which is pretty righteous of her. Yeah. She's, she's quite uh, benevolent to be like on the inside of all of this stuff. Hey, Natasha Yar is a straight shooter. What can I say? <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Uh, so then he does just that. He jumps out of the truck. And gets fucked up. He does. He actually passes out for a little while. His yeah. glasses get smashed. He gets a gash on his head. Um, he wakes up the headlights bearing down on him. And you think it's a car coming, but then they kind of split. And it's kind of a cool shot. Yeah. I like this shot. I and like how it looked. It's actual motorcycles that just go around him. And I like how when he's recovering himself, uh, he picks back up the gun, but the handle has like broken apart. Yeah. So it's just like the little metal. The, yeah, the frame. Yeah, of frame. The butt. Yeah. Um, so then the car's coming toward him and he stops it. <laughs> so he's got a gun. <laughs> it's a convertible. And it kind of drives out of control, right? It mm-hmm. kind of spins out of control. And the, the trunk opens. And it's full of stereos. <laughs> yes. And speakers. So you already know something weird's going on. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the dude's name's Willis. And he's just like, take whatever you want, man. It's Wilson, isn't it? I thought I thought it was Willis. Willis. Maybe it is Wilson. Yeah, played by Mike Kelty Williamson. Oh, my bad. Okay. It's, I think I'm having a different strokes moment here or something like that. <laughs> Um, and I like his character a ton. Like he's got again, like charisma. charisma Every yeah. like central character in this film just has so much charisma. Yeah, everyone's just a little bit odd, yeah. a little bit different, but, but yet endearing somehow. Yeah, yeah, it makes him stand out. Um, and so he kind of takes him at gunpoint. Is he like, does? Hey, you're gonna drive to this place. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> okay, whatever you say. And he's like, I've never hurt anyone in my life, but if you don't do this, I'll, I'll shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> Which it is interesting the way Harry develops here because it's like he's so mild-mannered kind of in the first part. But he really takes charge of the situation and like does his all to uh, to make it through. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, some people might find it unbelievable that someone you basically just met would mean that much to you. Mm-hmm. But I, I buy it. I, I buy the relationship. Oh, yeah. They sell it completely. Yeah. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all, especially <laughs> if that's the only person you really have in your life that you've. You know. Ever had a connection with yeah. Like that? Yeah. Hell yeah, you're going to do what you can. And then you you unavoidably get this news that the world's ending. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um. So then we get a funny like side bit that happens where 
Uh, he, he learns that their car doesn't have enough gas to get to the apartment and then to the building. Mm-hmm. So they decide they got to stop at a gas station. Yeah. And the closest one is for cabs. Mm-hmm. And Wilson's like, we're not going to, they're not going to sell us gas. He's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Harry goes to a payphone there. He gives uh, Wilson like 20 bucks. Yeah. So let's get some gas. He goes to the payphone, calls Julie's grandfather. Yeah, warns him, tells him to get ready. To go get Julie, and he'll be there shortly to pick him up. Tries to call Julie again, unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. But they're in trouble because uh, the gas station is run by Mr. Blue from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> He's got a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> he he does. ain't fucking around. No. Uh, but Wilson says that you know he wants 20 bucks in gas, but that dude over there will pay you $50 <laughs> for the gas. So then, yeah, the, the guy wants the 50 bucks, which, again, you know, Harry shells out. Him, yeah. No problem. Who is that actor who was, who played Mr. Blue? He's the one guy I forgot to research. There are so many character actors in this. Yeah. Ah, well. Anyway, I'll look it up later. Um, so, okay, yeah. They're, he, <laughs> while they're doing this and deciding how much the gas is going to cost, uh, so cops pull up. And immediately they're a little alarmed because you've got uh, a dude with a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> and Mr. Blue says, I'm going to get five years for this. <laughs> and Wilson's like, I got a truck full of stolen stereos. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the cops come out and they're like, what are you all doing? <laughs> <laughs> and you can see it cuts to Harry and he sees this from the payphone. And he's just like, shit. Yeah, and things go off the rails fast. Um, I love how quick too Wilson tries to bury the attendant because he's like, Hey man, he pulled a gun on me. He's been coming over here for several nights trying to rob me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course the cops aren't buying it. And uh, Wilson kind of freaks out and decides to pump some gas into their faces. Right. Which makes them panic. Makes them panic. And one of them raises their weapon. And the first thing they do is turn off their body cams. And then, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, those those didn't exist back then. Yeah, no. But you know they would have. Oh, yeah. Um, But one of them fires a shot, and the spark ignites the gasoline. And they go up (laughs) just like a torch. Both of them go up. So they're burning. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the gas is still pumping, and it's going toward the pumps. And everyone's freaking out, like, get the hell away. Um. So and notably, they never got any gas in the car. <laughs> they never got any gas in the car. So Harry and Wilson take the cop car mm-hmm. and pull away just as the pumps explode. Good explosion, too. Yeah. Uh, I like this effect. Mm-hmm. It was obviously, you know, mad at him, but it looked mm-hmm. good. <laughs> so things have already just <laughs> gone completely nuts. And I love their conversation as they're leaving because Wilson's like, he desperately wants them to know. He, he wants Harry to know that, like, he didn't mean to kill them. Yeah, he just panicked and like doused the gas. Right, on right. Just wanted to get away. And this is where Wilson is led to believe that there is a meltdown happening in town. Yeah, because at this point he has to know what's going on. And yeah, Harry kind of eh, that's a white lie. Yeah, he, he doesn't say yes or no. It's just it's what Wilson assumes. So he's like, well, "We got to get my sister." Which, to his credit, Harry's like, yeah, let's go get Julie, and then we'll go get your sister. Yeah. And 
Um, Unfortunately, yeah, his plans keep not panning out quite like how he wants. Yeah, they get to Julie's building. He tells Wilson, "You know, wait here. I'll be right back." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't what honking like four or five minutes? Yeah, honking four minutes. Um, it takes a while for Harry to find the the apartment building, and then he's greeted with Julie's grandmother with a shotgun. A lot of shotguns. A lot of shotguns. <laughs> yeah. And, but then, I mean, she's immediately friendly when she realizes who it is. Yeah. <laughs> and we learn the reason he couldn't get a hold of Julie is that after being upset about being stood up, she decided to uh, pop a Valium yeah. and she knock is, out for the night. She is out. He yeah. can't even wake her up. He just picks her up. <laughs> um... So he picks her up, he takes her down, and he puts her in this shopping cart, and he's like wheeling her around that way. But Wilson decided not to wait. Yep. He, he literally tells him, sorry, man, got to get my sister. Yeah, so he takes off to go get his sister. But luckily, I mean, the building's like pretty much right across the street from them, yeah. so it's not too you far. You can see it from the apartment. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the taller buildings in their area, too, so it kind of is like a landmark that stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the grandparents reunite, mm-hmm. and then they have a nice little kind of tender reuniting scene. Mm-hmm. And they go off together to get the car. Mm-hmm. And he tells them just to drive and meet them at the building. He's going to run Julie over there. Yes. Um, <laughs> Julie's waking up at this point. And maybe it's the volume. I don't know. But she's pretty chill. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's like, what, what are we doing? Why am I in a cart? What's going on? Doesn't he first tell her that they're going to go on like a balloon ride or something? Yeah. I think she, that's what she says. Yeah. She's like, get some big romantic thing mm-hmm. going on. Because, and of course, he has to explain first that his power was out. That's why he wasn't there and all that stuff. I love and then she immediately like forgives him. She's like, "Sure, sounds like that could happen." Yeah, yeah. it's like I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at some point, Harry kind of tells him what's going on, right? At least the oh yeah, the grandmother. The grandmother he tells the grandmother told her. what's going on, but let's not tell Julie until we have to. Mm-hmm. So when they get near the building, they pull up in their car and reveal that they're not going with Harry and Julie. Nope. They're going to go get some breakfast. They want to spend their last minutes together. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. I love how they frame it because Ivan's like, I'm going to go get the greasiest, nastiest, <laughs> yeah. just bad, terrible bad for me with my, my heart and everything. And just <laughs> yeah. eat the whole thing. And then she's like, and I'm going to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> and then she tries to drive off and can't, you know, something happens and he starts fussing at her. And you think they're going to get another fight. And they just go, ah, ha, ha, ha. And Julie's like dumbfounded at this. Yeah, but she wants to go with him. Mm-hmm. She's like, can't we go on a balloon ride some other time? <laughs> um. <laughs> so they get in the building. This would seem to be where it would be the end of the movie, but of course, Harry's not got the best luck, so... No. And uh, it's hilarious when they get to the an elevator. The elevator's closing and these two women pop in the frame. With like Uzis With freaking yeah. Uzis. And they're like, hold the elevator! <laughs> And it's like they've come in from another movie. They have their own adventure happening. Yeah, they you know? just crashed in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they get up to the top, and there's a chopper there, and there's this guy loading it, um, some asshole named Gersted. Yeah, played by Kurt Fuller. Who's also been on a ton of things. Love his performance. Um, he usually plays the jerk. He's pretty good at it. <laughs> And it's funny because he says that he doesn't believe Landa about what's going on, but mm-hmm. she's paying him so much, he's going to set yeah. everything up how she wants anyways. Right. But the pilot's not there. Yep. There's no one to fly this thing. They got two grand waiting for him to fly the plane. Yep. So Harry's like, I'm going to go find a pilot. Give me the money. <laughs> 
And he tells Julia to wait there. I'm going to find someone who can fly this thing. What else are you going to do? Right. You know? <laughs> so he's like, okay. So he runs off. <laughs> this is one of the weirder parts of the film. It is, but yeah. it, it, it... It's so cool, though. It is. And it, it, it's just really, really... When it really becomes kind of a fever dream, too. Yeah. It's like things just get really surreal. Because uh, he, he goes down the street, and there's like this fitness... Um, you know, like aerobics place that's open 24 hours, I'm sure. It's already full of people. Well, it's funny because first he sees people like jogging and mm-hmm. he tries to flag them down and they ignore him. Yeah. And then he like follows them to the fitness club. Right. And he goes in and he's just asking randomly people, randomly. Yeah. Uh, can anyone, does anyone know how to fly a helicopter? <laughs> does anyone know anyone who can fly a helicopter? And he's, he goes into one of the like dance classes. They're blaring the music and everything. And he's trying to ask them. He just pulls out his gun and shoots it. <laughs> I love he shoots the stereo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He shoots the stereo. Yeah. Does anyone know how to fly a helicopter? And they're all just like, you know, of course, you know, trying to get away from him and mm-hmm. panicking. And then he's leaving that bill, that room. And he kind of, he's kind of muttering to himself, like, I found someone who could fly a helicopter. <laughs> and there's this guy weightlifting. Says, I could fly a helicopter. He's jacked as hell. He looks like he should be an action movie star. He is, because ah. he is Brian fucking Thompson, another great cast member. Um, you've seen this guy. I guarantee you, you've seen this guy. Uh, he was one of the punks in the first Terminator. Oh, okay. Man, was, there's so many Terminator connections in this Yeah. Thing. Yeah. He was um, one of the bad guys. In, he was the bad guy in Cobra, Sylvester Stallone movie. Mm. Um, he was in Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> Klingon Officer wow. Clagg. Okay. Uh, he was in the movie Star Trek Generations. He was in two episodes of DS9. Hmm. Uh, Rules of Acquisition and To the Death, where he played a Jim Hadar. They're really cool bad guys. I, I know of them, just yeah. from like the role-playing game and stuff. Cool. And he was also in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. He played a Romulan. Hmm. Um, he was Cabal and Dr. Mordred. Oh, okay. Opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh-huh. And he played memorable, short-lived but memorable characters in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hmm. He was Luke from the very first one, and he played the judge. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, great character actor. He was the bounty hunter in X-Files. Mm. Tons of shit. This movie is full of great <laughs> character actors. I love it. So, yeah, he says, I could fly a helicopter. But he's got one condition. Mm-hmm. He won't go alone. He's got someone to go with him. And I love this scene because he calls... And I, what's the name? I forget the name he says, I do but too. I forget it's it. clearly a woman's name. Yeah. But then this dude runs out of the aerobics hall. Uh huh. And they kind of like you know stand close together, and the power lifter's like, "You got a problem with it?" And Harry's like, "No, <laughs> no, I do not." <laughs> um, and he's literally just like, "Hey, here's the two grand. Let's go." Yeah, and this guy says, "You know, I'll be there. I can fly it. I'll be there." He gives him the money, and uh, takes off. Tells him where to go. And he's about to run back, but when he gets out into the street, he notices Julie wandering around asking if people can fly a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. And then a police car comes out of nowhere and almost hits him, right? Yep. And crashes through the building. Mm-hmm. And it's Wilson. And his sister. And they are badly hurt. Oh, they do have a moment, though. Um, what is it? It's right before that happens... Um, um, they have a bit of a conversation. No, 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 no. You're right. This, yeah. this happens first. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, this cops show up. 
Yep. And they're obviously after Wilson. They're saying like, come out cop killer shit like that. Uh, and we learned that he found his sister, found a sister, but she's been shot. Yeah. They're not doing so hot. Uh, that's when Wilson says to Julie that it's a meltdown happening. Cause she still doesn't know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, his sister dies and Wilson wants Harry to kill him. But Wilson actually dies on his own for yeah. Harry has a chance to. You can tell Harry's kind of like mulling it over. If yeah. He can go through he's working up the nerve to do it, but then Wilson just expires. Wilson even tells him like, hey man, it's not even going to be murder. It's you just giving me mercy now. Yeah, I'll be dead in you know, 50 minutes anyway. Less than that by this time. <laughs> um, and they don't know what the fuck they're going to do now. Yeah, that's when, <laughs> that's when Julie and Harry have a conversation by themselves. And they, they go off into this one room. Mm-hmm. And the room is full of clocks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're surrounded by clocks, but they're out of time. Very thematic. Yeah. Uh, and they decide they're just going to go surrender to the, to the police before they, they just, come in and just, just start shooting the police Say they were up. bystanders. Yeah. And uh, at this point, also, they're thinking that... Harry's thinking maybe the missiles aren't coming. Right. You know? It's close to the it's, time. It's getting close to the time. Maybe they're wrong. So they're like, okay, well, let's just... We'll go out there, give ourselves up. <laughs> but then all the cops are bugging out. They're leaving in a hurry. And my favorite one is like, once the cars pull off, you think it's done. And then a guy like rappels down from the roof. <laughs> yeah. And just like hits the ground, scrambles up and runs. Yeah. It comes out of the top of the frame out of nowhere. <laughs> and this runs after the truck. Yeah. So it's like, oh shit. Well, they've heard. And it, it's actually going to happen. It's, it's really happening. And then this is the scene I thought of. He stops to use another payphone, and somehow remembers that area code mm-hmm. and calls the father of Chip. Yep. And once that confirmation of like, is your son a soldier? Is he stationed here? Da 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 da. And he gets confirmation that yes. And he tries to give him the message, but the dude just hangs up on him. Because mm-hmm. I guess he already realizes, probably. Yeah. What's 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 a going on? And at this point, like it's dawn is coming. Things are starting to brighten up outside. Uh, traffic's picking up, and people are obviously losing their shit at this point. Yep. You, you can tell that somehow it's leaked. Yeah. People are looting. Um, and I wanted to talk about this for a moment too. Cause like it gets really dark really fast. Cause like one of the first things that happened is we see some of this looting and then they're kind of trying to work their way to the building. And the first thing that happens is a dude runs up and just tries to grab Julie. Yeah. And like wants to just like throw her down and rape her. Yeah. And you, you see a couple of people like fucking right yeah. there on the street or something too. They never linger on it, but it's just enough yeah. to be like, oh, it's man. It's there in the background, yeah. yeah. And there's like a news broadcast going on, and the the, the, the newscasters are talking about the rumors of a nuclear war, mm-hmm. and it goes to this one person out in the field, and he just gets shot by a bystander. So everyone's losing their shit, <laughs> which is exactly what would happen. This is exactly what would happen in this yeah. situation. And this is where I wanted to bring up a film, because um, if, you're, if you're into this part of the film, you should check out uh, Threads. It was a BBC film, but it's the same thing of like the real, like most realistic depiction of what would happen yeah. if a nuclear war happened and you had to deal with the fallout. I actually, I've heard the, of that before, but I actually haven't watched the movie oh yet. Oh my God. Well, I you, need to. you definitely need to. I can, isn't it done like a documentary too yeah, almost? Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, uh, as this one, it kind of just goes up like Miracle Mile, spoiler, it stops at the moment of the, the missile hitting, but mm. Threads actually goes on beyond that and like what it would be like to live and this bombed out area with like only some survivors and everything's irradiated. And yeah. it is like one of the most bleak, depressing films ever, but it's, it's super good. Yeah. Well, it would be out. a good companion piece to this one. 
Cool. Uh, um, so he gives Julie the gun and says, take this, get to the roof. Yeah, because he thought he saw the chopper pilot. Yeah, and he's like, what the hell is he doing? He sees this guy in spandex <laughs> across the street, and he's like, where is he going? I'm going to go get him. Yeah, take the gun, go to the building. And then again, as soon as she has the gun and tries to walk off, the first thing that happens is the dude tries to grab her, and she shoves the gun right in his yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he has to like, and I think it's, isn't this, that's the part where they, they declare that they love each other. Like they actually say, I love you and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So he gets across the street, which is it, its own like trial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cars are crashing into one another. Um, it's not the chopper pilot though. Nope. It's just some other muscle bound dude. Um, so then Harry has to get back across the street. Which now it's jammed. And there's a fun crane shot here, too, where he gets on top of that oh, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're kind of seeing all the chaos. And this is what you were talking about, where they had closed off the street. Yeah. it It's a gorgeous shot. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. one of those things, like, they, they put in the work to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And there, there's cars crashing everywhere. There's fires. People are going crazy. It's And this this movie only had a budget of, what, like, three to four million? Mm-hmm. That's not very much. I think they did quite a bit with a limited budget. Oh, yeah, budget. for sure. And it, it, the first car he's on is like a parked one. So then he like jumps to the next one and he's just going to car hop. <laughs> yeah. But the next one he jumps on, the dude immediately flips out, grabs a gun and starts shooting up. Yeah, right through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. So he's jumping off that, but the guy's stuck in traffic anyway. So he just gets out of his car and he is chasing Harry <laughs> with his gun. And they're crawling underneath the cars. And this again is where it kind of you kind of get how sad the situation is. Because as he's crawling, you can see he, he looks off to the side and there's like just groups of like dudes where they've tackled women down yeah. and are trying to have their way with them. Yeah. And there's dead people in the streets. And it's just like, fuck over. man. Like, yeah, it took like two seconds for everything to just go to hell. I think that's actually what would happen too. Pro- probably. Yeah. Whew. So he actually goes into a sewer, yep. into a sewer drain to get away from this wacko. And the fucking guy chases him into the sewer. <laughs> yeah, he's like firing down there blindly <laughs> and shit. Ugh. But he's like almost right to the building, so he's kind of able to wind his way to a sewer access that's like right there. Mm-hmm. So he gets into the lobby of the building, and you see it's you almost if you blink you'll miss it. You mm-hmm. see Julie on the left side of the frame, yeah, as he's trying to get into the elevator. Then they see each other at the last moment. <laughs> so they're in the elevator, and then the elevator stops. Yeah, there's some power trouble in the building. Yeah. And there's some interesting conversations here. Yeah, one of my favorite lines of the film was right here. Yeah, what's up? Um, it's she asks him like, "Oh, everything's going to be okay, all right? Um, you know, like uh, people are going to help each other, right? They're gonna they're gonna like work together and try to fix things after it's over, mm-hmm. uh, and everything will be okay." And he just says, "I think it's the insects' turn now." Yeah, yeah. But she says something like, uh, "She says that they're atoms." Mm-hmm. And their spirits will always be together. Yeah. Very heartfelt. Mm-hmm. But then the elevator starts back up. And they go back up to the roof. And that sleazy dude who was there before, Gerstead, <laughs> he's <laughs> insane. He's shirtless. He's obviously drunk or on drugs, both. Yeah, he mentioned he's been taking a bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But the helicopter's gone. Helicopter's gone. There's a dead body laying over there on the side. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the women. Yeah, it is. The machine gun. Um, and they see a missile come in. It seems, yeah. like, it seems to go past LA, though, or at least... It's like it's going somewhere beyond... Yeah, he says something about it's going all the way to Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really when it sits in that, like, no, okay. Yeah, it's real. This, this was real the whole time. Yeah. Um, 
But then the pilot shows up. The mm-hmm. chopper comes back. And it is the pilot. And he literally tells them, I, I promised I would get you. Yeah. But he's bleeding bad. Like, bloods are, like, pouring out of his mouth. And it made me wonder, like, we don't know what happened on the helipad. And that's part of what I like about the film is, like, shit went down, but we just weren't there because we're following yeah, Harry. Yeah, I almost wonder if, like, he flew to the airport, dropped off his uh, significant other, mm-hmm. and then was like, hey, I got to fly back and get Harry. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I like mm-hmm. not knowing what's happened to yeah. these people and what's happened in between. And I like that he keeps his word and he comes back. Yeah. It's just... Because, again, in that situation, the the temptation is just to be like, fuck it, everyone for themselves. Yeah. Um, But they take off. Uh, they see more missiles coming in. Yeah. Multiple this time. Yeah. And we see the explosion. And the sleazeball's looking at it and he's like, you know, covering his eyes and shit. <laughs> because they probably just like boiled. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but there's an electromagnetic pulse yeah. from the explosion and it literally kills the helicopter immediately. Yeah. And they're going down and it's a cool shot too mm-hmm. when they're going. I like down. how it's filmed again. It's like, yeah. uh, we always talk about this. Like if you work within your budget and don't try to do something beyond what you could afford yeah. to do yeah, and you really like focus, you can make so many great things mm-hmm. and make it look amazing just yeah. with like. Not as much. Yeah, you pretty much get their POV. It's being shot through the helicopter doors that are open. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like probably like rear projection or something. Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're heading right toward the La Brea tar pits. So right or, back where we started. Yeah, right back where we started. Right back where the relationship really started. And then they land. and yeah. They crash dead center in the middle of a pit. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> it doesn't get... And it's it's not subtle. It's like we're gonna be extinct, just like these dinosaurs. Yeah, you know. Uh, and Julie is hysterical because their cabin starts to fill with the tar. Yeah, and she cannot calm down at all. And then Harry finally like uh, gets control of the situation, and it's with what he says to her, which he says that you know someday we're gonna be fossils and people will find us, and I bet they'll put us in a museum. Mm-hmm. Or if not that, maybe there'll be a direct hit right around here. And we'll just get turned into diamonds. Yeah. Yeah. And something about that, like it comforts her in Mm -hmm. that moment, which I think again is a testament to like how, how perfect they are together that like with just those few words, like she perfectly understands him and it, it changes everything. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where the movie ends. Yep. She, uh, she calms down. She, she embraces him. They hug and everything goes dark. You see it fill up with the tar until it goes black. And then there's an explosion. Mm-hmm. End of movie. Powerful. It is. And, and the director is completely right. A happy ending? How how would that even work? I guess it would be they get to the airport and get away, but then still it's like, what, you're going to go to Antarctica? And yeah. then, then what are you going to do? Right. right. Yeah. That's not a happy ending either. <laughs> so the Blu-ray that you got me, yeah. uh, I did browse the special features. Uh, before we do some like other fun facts, I wanted to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the features was an alternate ending. No, I did not know. And I was like, this. "Huh, that's weird." I couldn't find anything about it online. It, it's very lean, but it's only like one little thing that's different. And I'm kind of glad they didn't use this. Yeah. But um, it's the final scene, and it plays out exactly the same. You get to the explosion. The explosion happens, and then there's kind of this like '80s like um, it's like the visual effects where it's like drawn, but they make it look. Uh, you know, like Ghostbusters and some other films, they have this like where it'll be like light or energy kind of sure, effect. Sure, hand drawn animation. Hand drawn animation. Yeah. 
and it's a like a, a flash, and then it turns into two diamonds that are like resting side by side together. Uh, yeah, we didn't need that. That's a little too I, much. I'm glad that was cut. Yeah, yeah. The dialogue is enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I thought that, that was funny because I was like, really? There's an alternate ending, <laughs> and it's just that two seconds. <laughs> It'd have been hilarious if it was like a happy ending. Yeah. Like, oh, there was no attack. Everything's <laughs> fine. Or it was just a dream. Like yeah, he wake up from the power of failure. It was a dream he had. Then he goes on his date, and everything's great. Ugh, how awful would that be? Yes, it's it's good that he stuck to his guns on this. Yes, and he knew what it needed to be. Yes, he knew how he wanted to make it, and he wrote that line and made the film. Yep, I respect the hell out of that. Um, let's see. We talked a lot about the trivia already. Actually, I've got a few I want to bring in because I. I keep bringing up David Lynch this episode, so sure. I gotta I get this in. Uh, Fred the Cook, the role was originally offered to Jack Nance. Wow, yeah, I and can he, see that. He refused it because he wanted to focus on his day job as a security guard at the time. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you gotta love Jack Nance. I love Jack Nance. Uh, let's see, what else? Da, 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 da. Oh, the restaurant they're at, the... Um, the little diner place. It's mm-hmm. called Fat Boy. Yeah. And it kind of has like a little mascot that looks like the uh, Frisch's Big Boy. But that's actually a reference to the two atomic bombs that were dropped. Uh, Fat oh, Man and Little, little boy. boy. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a real diner too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, uh, Johnny's Coffee Shop. Nice. And it was actually located on Miracle Mile. Um, it closed in the 90s, I think. Yeah, Of course yeah, it yeah. did. Um, but the building's never been demolished and it still gets used in films and stuff. Oh, that's cool. And apparently in modern times, they've used it for like pop-up shops and little like event things. Was that the one that was used for the Big Lebowski? I don't know. So it looks a lot like it. I just I just realized that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. a sad, sad fact for our times now, I guess. Most recent notable thing with it was in 2016. It was the campaign headquarters for the uh, presidential campaign for Bernie Sanders. Wow. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, so that's cool. We already talked about the weird production stuff. Uh, let's see. It cost three to four million, but just made over a million at the box office. But it was kind of a sleeper hit on VHS. That's how I saw it. Yeah, when I looked at the reviews and stuff, like generally they're all really positive. It got good critical notices, yeah. I think even if you care to go by like the Rotten Tomatoes thing, I think it's got like a 90-something percent. Mm-hmm. So pretty impressive. Um, we didn't talk about the music very much. But Tangerine Dream. Yes. Uh, great score, I thought. It is. It doesn't... It's not obtrusive. It's never in your face. It's yeah. very uh, complimentary to what's mm-hmm. going on. Right. It's, it's a good 80s synth score. Uh, other fun things. Oh, the Pan Pacific Theater appeared in this movie, and it was the last time that was in film. It burned to the ground just slightly after this film came out. Oh, wow. Uh, so the original script, there was a lot of stuff that was very different and it changed a bunch of times. The very first like draft of it, Julie had a 10 year old son and, um, it was like this whole subplot. Hmm. And apparently that was part of the reason she left the roof to go find a pilot was out of concern for the kid. Yeah. I'm glad they said that. We don't uh, need that. That's one more element. We need to concentrate on their romance. Right. That's like the fat. That like if you were a yeah. good, good uh, storyteller, you're going to cut that yep. out. Yep. Um, let's see. What else do I have? Oh, I have a fun quote from Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Yeah, in an interview talking about the film. He said, uh, that was a script that everybody wanted to make. 
but they wanted the director to change the ending. It was this great adventure, but they wanted it to have a happy ending. But he stuck it out, and luckily he stuck it out long enough that I became old enough to play the part. So I got to do it, and we did it at a time when there really was no green screen for special effects. You had to shoot what was there. It's amazing how dated that film looks now because of our ability to do things technically these days. I mean, I guess you could say it looks antiquated. Uh, Mayor Winningham is one of the greatest actresses ever. It was eight weeks of night shooting. Uh, so you'd be driving home from work at like six in the morning, having had a wrap beer, and then suddenly going, oh my God, what do people think of somebody having a beer at six in the morning when everybody <laughs> else is on their way to work? Nice. Uh, oh, the guy who played the um, gas station attendant, his name's Edward Bunker. Mm. That was bugging me. He was in Reservoir Dogs. He was in Take On Cash. The Long Riders. That's a good western. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the director has a cameo in the film. He uh, is one of the people in the streets that gets shot and falls down. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, and then this is the one last thing I wanted to have, because this is like a fun coda to this film, I think. So later, Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham would work together again on the small screen in parts on ER for a time. Yeah. And then... Some three decades after making this movie, after both of them had been divorced from other spouses, they started dating in their private lives and were married in 2021. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So isn't that crazy? That is awesome. <laughs> I'm glad those two kids finally got together. <laughs> after what they went through, they deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So again, it's like they, they have a chemistry yeah, with one another. It was, like, yeah, obviously it was real. Apparently it transcends the film. That's great. That's awesome. Well, so I think we've wrung all we can. Yeah, I think so too. At least for the two of us. Um, should I say my thoughts on this movie first since I've seen it? You picked it and you've seen it yeah, first. So yeah, I think, okay. yeah. Now, I actually have not rewatched this since the late 80s, um, but it left an impression on me. And I always meant to come back and revisit it. Mm-hmm. And it was always something I had in mind for the podcast, too. Um, and I saw the blue and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take a chance. I'll see if I'll see if Dustin <laughs> likes this. Um, I think it holds up remarkably well. I mean, I'm older now, more mature. I get more of the themes, mm-hmm. but even then, I was struck by its, um, by its, its frantic quality. You know, that kind of like nightmare fever dream. Oh yeah, sort yeah. of ambiance it has, and it was the first time in a movie. Outside of a horror flick, like Night of the Living Dead or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I saw like a gut punch of an ending in a, in a oh, movie. Yeah. And that freaked me out. First of all, the nuclear war stuff freaked me out. <laughs> right, right. That's but very, the, the, very real and very scary. Yeah. But then the fact that they actually died and didn't make it was like... Because you, you love these two characters and you mm-hmm. want them to be happy and you want them to get away. Yeah. And, and I wasn't used to sad yeah. endings in a, in, a, you know, in a non-horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was... Whew. Uh, and it still holds up I think it's still a really well made movie Um, I saw another interview with uh, Anthony Edwards talking about how he he said it looks dated Mm -hmm. but in a good way you know and I agree with Uh, that classical I think yeah yeah, a a classical way and I agree with that because yeah some the effects aren't top notch even for the time but um, but again, it's like they don't need a lot. And they don't they, need a they, lot, they right. keep it in the budget. Right. It's about the story. It's not about the effects. And it does enough that you you, you understand what's happening and it doesn't take mm-hmm. you out of the movie. 
the whole hand-drawn diamonds thing that may have taken uh, him out of the movie that see that was too much and it was, it was rightfully <laughs> left on the floor yeah uh, if they had tried to make this modern day like there would have been some dumbass cgi oh yeah for, I, I don't know what the missiles or something it would have been all about the destruction not yeah. about the story um I, I i love that i finally watched it again uh if i give it a rating i think i would i think i'll land on a four okay actually cool so, what was your thoughts? My only question before I get into my thoughts is you're giving it a four. I didn't hear much criticism out of you. So, where's the where's that star? Okay. How come it's not a five? Yeah, right, right. Right. <sighs> <laughs> What's that je ne sais quoi? I, I think the only thing, and this doesn't really hurt the movie for me. Mm-hmm. The only thing that keeps it from being a five is just the, the crazy coincidences. Right, which, right. which in a way adds to it because mm-hmm. it adds that nightmare logic just that that fever dream that you're frantic and you're just trying to get something done um like he remembers the conversation so well and then the phone number mm-hmm. it just happens to find a helicopter pilot <laughs> which i think is hilarious yeah it works for me that's uh where if this had been a twilight zone thing like yeah kind of the, the little building blocks of that right honestly that's probably my only real complaint hmm. um other than that, you know, I don't know why. That, that's probably the only thing that keeps it from being a five-star movie to me. Okay, cool. Before, it's still pretty fucking good. Oh, especially from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just wanted to quantify that a little bit. True, true. Uh, so my thoughts on this film. Yeah. Uh, just to rattle off a few things. Again, like it's so hard to deny the chemistry that Harry mm-hmm. and Julie have. I, I love it. I hate the whole like love at first sight trope unless it's like played for a joke or there's some like point to it in right. the end. But here it just works so, so well. Yeah. Um, I loved the vibe of the first half of the film, too. That's kind of this fun, like, tour guide of L.A. Mm-hmm. We were going to all these famous places, the La Brea Tar Pits, all these inc- iconic buildings and areas. And it feels like you're there as a tourist checking all this out while you're seeing a fun, like, story unfold. Yeah. I uh, love that. Uh, once it starts rolling, like, it's so nonstop and so frenetic and just all over the place. And I love the pace that it has and how it just keeps gunning and gunning and gunning. And it, again, like, he's on the clock and you feel it through the way the film unfolds that he's got to go. And if he doesn't make the deadline, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole aspect of time, like it ties so well with like the theme of the film. that I think it gives you this very visceral feeling while you're watching it and you're in the moment. Um, and I'm impressed again that like they went for that bleak ending. Cause it would be so, so easy to say, Oh, they get to the airport and they take off and then they're on the plane together and they say, I love you. And they kiss. And then, oh, the music yeah. swells, and that's right. the end. Um, it's like, it's what you and me say, like, you know, there doesn't all, life doesn't always have that happy ending. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, I like, too, that, like, they're, they do acknowledge the idea of, like, the darker stuff that would go on if this scenario unfolded with, like, how quickly people start killing each other, start, like, assaulting one another. Um, but they also don't revel in it. You know, this isn't an extreme yeah. horror film. Right. So it, it lets that sit to the side. It gives you the idea and lets you know, like, hey, this shit's going on. Yeah, it lets you fill in the really horrible parts. Mm. Yeah, But it leaves it to you to just kind of settle with that idea. Um, so all that being said, I love this film so, so, so much. Like, awesome. damn, dude, it was just so good. Awesome. I don't think a second of screen time was wasted. I mm-hmm. think, like, uh, it gets into that category where I almost want to call it a perfect film in a way. Like, oh, wow. Um, even your hangups of like the, the incidental things, like, I think that's just Harry, man. Like, he's yeah. just having one bad day. 
Yeah. And it seems like he generally is a lucky guy and things kind of turn up the way he wants, but uh, it's <laughs> not this it, time. When you, when it all throws in the blender, man, it just goes off the rails. Um, can't believe I had never heard of it. I can't believe this isn't like celebrated more and talked about more and like Thank brought you. up more in the conversation. Yeah, it, it needs to be seen um, more. If you've never seen this film, this is one like I hardline, hardline say definitely go out, seek it out. Is it streaming anywhere? Or? Yeah, it's on Tubi. It's free. Okay. Yeah, well, hit up Tubi and yeah. watch this like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, super rewarding, worth your time. Don't think you'll regret it. I loved it so, so much. I give it a five star. Wow. Starting the oh year, going hard. Five All star. Right. Out Damn. the game. You liked it more than me. Let's man. fucking go. All right. Good pick, Jason. Finally, one of your half-remembered <laughs> uh, younger day films turned out to be really amazing. Nice. Maybe I can keep that trend going. It just took the feng shui of Michael leaving us to for you to pick a winner. <laughs> so, uh, like, like for Harry, there's some win and some loss yeah. there. So. All right. Man, I'm glad you dug it. I really am because I was, yeah, was kind of wow. Weird. It was just like, I was real impressed. I've, I've done nothing but think about it since uh, since I watched it. Awesome. And I went out of my way to not log it on Letterboxd till right now. Yeah, I have been. Because <laughs> mm, I wanted to make you sweat a little bit. I've been sweating. Woo. <sighs> well, I feel vindicated. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Lovely film. Definitely make sure you get it and check it out. Mm-hmm. You will appreciate having done so. I think so. So that said, next up, we're going to do a listener episode. This would have normally been like probably Michael's spot or something, but yeah. as long as he's not here, we are going to... One of you listeners will be the new Michael. Lean on you, our listeners. And um, we're going back to a show favorite, Urban Groucho. Yeah. Uh, we're going to check out History of the Occult from 2020. I'm interested in this. Now, we wanted to cover this one like forever ago. But it was in this weird like licensing limbo where like every other country in the world already had it streaming and out there. Mm-hmm. But it was being held back for the U.S. Uh, and I don't know why, but now it's kind of just popped up on Screenbox. Yeah, all of a sudden. Which is this newer uh, horror streaming platform. So we can finally get at it. We're excited to check it out. We'll get into all of that next time. And I guess maybe talk about Screenbox a little bit too. And I've been anxious and- to check them out, yeah. We'll toss in a mini review of Screenbox there you go. along the way. Awesome. So all that being said, I will now try to do the outros, which I am bad at. <laughs> okay. Um, and maybe try to channel Mike a little bit. I do it. As always, we thank you so, so much for tuning in and listening and spending your time with us and looking into the films that we're digging up and uncovering as we go along. Keep writing in. Let us know what you've been watching. Give us film recommendations. We're going to need a lot of them to carry the ship. Yeah. Uh, without Michael, so throw them at us. It doesn't matter what it is, what genre, whether you think we've seen it, we haven't seen it, whether you want to troll us with something weird, bring it, we're ready, we're <laughs> Do willing. It. Do it. Uh, go as extreme as you want. Yeah, we can take we can it. do it, man. Um, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Send us an email at genreexposure at gmail.com. Anywhere you can get at us, we love it, and we are happy to hear from you. Um. Other than that, all things said, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal 
providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.